0: In today's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, Tracy Osborne turns the tables and interviews me about what I've been up to for the past year. This is Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 468. Welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us, the podcast that helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing startups. Whether you've built your fifth startup or you're thinking about your first. I'm Rob. Today, with Tracy Osborne, we're here to share our experiences to help you avoid the mistakes we've made. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm your host, Rob Walling. Each week on the show, we cover topics relating to building and growing startups but startups that are real businesses, not the Silicon Valley myth of building a company and having billions of people adopt it organically, virally overnight and not paying you. And suddenly you come up with a a monetization strategy. We talk about building real businesses where real people pay us real money. We talk about building businesses that provide us with a purpose that we're fascinated with, but we don't sacrifice our lives at the expense of building these companies. We also talk about building companies that provide us with the freedom, and it's the freedom from a day job, it's the freedom of working on crappy projects, and it's the freedom to own our own destiny. We have many different show topics, oftentimes we talk about tactics or teaching, we answer a lot of listener questions, sometimes with guests, we do founder hot seats, and we also have interviews as well as breaking news episodes like we did last week with R. This week, we turn the tables on me as Tracy Osborne. It takes the interview seat. And she asked me about really about what's been going on for me post-drip. And it focuses around Tiny Seed. That's really the main day-to-day thing that I've been doing since then. And during the course of the conversation, we look at some highs, some lows, things that have been surprises. I mean, it's really the the background story that that I would tell if I was talking about building a SaaS app, and it's all the the customer development challenges that we faced, and just kind of the, the story that I haven't particularly talked about on this show, or really, for the most part, anywhere else. I enjoyed the conversation, and I hope you enjoy this inside look at what's been going on with me for about the last 12 to 18 months. Let's dive in.
1: Hey, Rob. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm excited to be, uh, be the interviewer for once.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. My, ple- my pleasure.
1: I was looking forward to actually, after you asked me questions on Wedding Lovely, I was like, cool, I can, I can turn the tables on you, put you in the hot seat.
0: Yep. Dig into my, my successes and failures. Really, really, put the, put the thumb down on me. How did you feel when you were at the bottom, the bottomless pit? <laughs> yeah. No, this will be fun. I, I, you know, I've actually had multiple people tell me that, that I should do this, that kind of like, they said, you know, you still have a story going on and you are growing a startup yourself. And there's obviously a lot of uncertainty, you know, anytime you start something new and folks said it'd be, you know, told me it'd be interesting to hear what's been going on.
1: Yeah, and honestly, you don't talk a lot about tiny seed. I went through a lot of the episodes of Stars for the Rest of Us, and I mean those are a few dedicated episodes. But in general, it's been really cool listening to Mike talk about Blue Tick, and I feel like there is a lot of opportunity. There is a opp- lot of opportunity for you to talk about tiny seed, not just to promote it, but it's just like a really interesting process of and something that's completely new. We're not technically working on a startup, just like what's what's involved in running a fund and all that.
0: Yeah, I would agree, and I've probably. You know, I think I've probably been overly sensitive to that and, and not wanting it to feel like I'm promoting it, but I don't know that anyone's ever accused me of like promoting stuff on the podcast. We, we've been really careful about it. So I, I do think I want to start sharing more of the, but it's the, it's the inside track, right? It's like you start a SaaS app, you start a productized service, you start an accelerator like Seed. there's like 80% overlap. You still have to get all the systems in place. You still have to find customers. You, you might need to raise funding if, if you're going to do it. You, you still need to figure out, do customer development. You know, we'll talk a little bit about that. But like our, our terms are essentially like our pricing, right? That's the thing that someone could look at our terms and say, oh, your pricing's too high. You know, just like in a, in a SaaS app or productized service, they would say that. So there's a lot of, I'm finding a lot of commonalities. And I feel like my experience running startups in the past has absolutely translated here.
1: Right. And the funny thing is, uh, I was looking at the previous podcast episodes. It's almost, as of this recording, it's almost one year to the day of when you announced Tiny Seed. So it's been a pretty epic year, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it really has. That all happened. It it doesn't feel like it's been that long. A lot, so much has gone on though. So it's one of those things where the days are, what is it? The days are long, but the years are short. It's kind of like that.
1: Maybe we should backtrack a bit, um, just in case someone comes on this podcast and doesn't have a lot of background. Do you want to go over TinySeed and, and what we're doing?
0: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the basics, right? Tiny Seed is the first startup accelerator designed for people who would traditionally bootstrap. And unlike most accelerators, like a Y Combinator or a Techstars, we're fully remote and we're a year long. So most accelerators, you have to move to a city and they're typically three months. And usually the goal is learn how to pitch and you're going to raise money at the end of it. There's going to be a big demo day. And we are not doing that because money and ra- fundraising is not the end goal of, of all of our startups. Now, I think there are a few that will raise, you know, follow on rounds, but it's going to be totally up to the founders. And so we're remote. We're one year. We focus on subscription software. So mostly SaaS, although we almost funded a marketplace, two-sided marketplace that was software enabled that, you know, had a, had a subscription tied to it. So it wasn't just a processing fee and you know we have we have a really top notch a group of mentors, to be honest, like tinyc.com slash people. If you go there, it's kind of the who's who of, of folks who know about SaaS. And that's one of the beauties of, I think, of being able to focus like we did. Like we didn't say, hey, we're a remote accelerator for consumer packaged goods and any startup that has software that enables it. We may get there eventually, but right now being so focused on this, we can have mentors like, you know, the Jason Freeds, the DHHs, the Rand Fishkins, Chris Savage from Wistia, Ruben Gomez from Bitsketch and, and Laura Roder from Meet Edgar. It's like folks folks who are really in it and can provide really, you know, detailed info. So I like to say like with Tiny Seed, there's kind of five elements that that we provide the founders. One is the money, two is the mentorship, three is the community of being in the batch. And we meet four times during the year in person. Our second one's coming up here in a week. And then the fifth is really the network. It's that you can come to me, like my network is now at the disposal uh, of the batch, any, uh, you know, of any of the founders we've backed, as well as the networks of m- most of our our mentors. And I've heard Craig Hewitt talk about, you know, a couple episodes ago, he said, yeah, he's he has a lot of second order intros, you know, where he'll talk to, uh, you know, whoever, Asia Matos or or Ruben Gomez, who are both mentors, and then they will intro him to someone they know to help solve a particular problem. So that's that's been the goal. And, you know, I got to be honest, it was... A year ago we announced and there there was a lot of uncertainty as to whether this model would work, whether we could pull it off. And in all honesty, it's gone gone very smoothly.
1: Yeah, that was my next question was was overall, how has the last year gone? Like how are you feeling today about everything?
0: Today, I mean, so we're about four and a half months into the first batch for the year-long batch. I, there have been very few days in the past year that I have felt down. There have been a few, and hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll talk about some of those today, but compared to probably every other startup I've ever done, this has been more fun, less stress, and I feel like I'm having as much or more of an impact, or at least a deeper impact, than a lot of other things that I've done. And so, yeah, no, I, I feel really positive. I feel really positive about it. And it's, I mean, I think part of one of the reasons, you know, Sherry and I talked through this on a Zen Founder episode, and she said, she said, "Is it less stressed because it truly is less complicated?" Because I hear you guys, you know, we were making deals with startups, we were fundraising, we were trying to figure out terms. There was a lot of complexity and a lot of moving pieces all at once, and it was way more complicated this time. And yet, I felt less stressed. And we kind of started boiling it down to. A, I'm probably a little more mature. B, it helps to work with a really, you know, a really strong co-founder like Einar who took a bunch of the complexity. He's really good at making deals and, and working with people and finding, just finding, finding things that work. And so I didn't have to bear the, you know, all the burden of that. And then the fact that it's interesting, like pr- with prior startups for me, my chips were always all on the table where if the startup failed, it was years of my life that was down the drain. And it was potentially most of my net worth that was down the drain. And I always took that really, that was a big burden. And now I was able to take chips off the table, you know, in all honesty with drip. And, and there's a certain level of comfort where I'm just more confident that it's going to work every day when I get up, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is helping people. Like it's providing real value. And I, and I'm not, I'm not worried all the time of, Oh, it's gonna, you know, I don't know. I don't know why I woke up, You know, three days a week when I was running drip and thought this could all come crashing down tomorrow. It wasn't a healthy attitude and I kind of regret it. (laughs) And, And I think I've made it a point not to do that here. And it's almost, it's made it easier mentally, but it's also, I think, made me better as a founder that I'm not so worried about that.
1: Yeah, it's really fun. As I say, as a team member, it's really fun to work on something that I feel so positive and exciting, you know, just, just working with these founders and, and kind of like writing their success. Like it's been a really fulfilling thing to work on.
0: Yeah. I think the vicarious, like being able to live through them vicariously is super helpful. And, and I've told the founders that like, Hey, when you succeed, like I get the dopamine rush, you know, and, and when you're going through the struggles, like let's get on the phone and I will, I will work with you through that. And it's, it's nice to have that, that ability without really having to, do it day to day at this point I think I'm I mean I kept telling Sherry you know towards the end of of drip when we were selling it that like yeah, I just don't want to do this again I've done this enough I'm looking for something different but also challenging you know and also that has a lot of impact and I'm I'm really glad that that this is this is what we settled on
1: so a year ago yeah, the tiny seed was kind of just an idea, just like a plan. And now we're, you know, like you said, we're about four and a half months into the first batch. What has changed in terms of how you thought the process and how the management of tiny seed and how things would go? What has changed between that idea versus reality? What's going on today?
0: Yeah, it's surprisingly little, actually. I know I had started talking about tiny seed, around April of 2018. And then, you know, we, we announced about six months later and Einar had heard my microconf talk and said, you know, that's something that should exist. And I know limited partners who would fund that. And I kind of, we were at the blackjack tables and at microconf and I kind of waved it off. Like, ah, I don't know, man, seems like a lot of work, a lot of headache, all that stuff. But, You know, within a week or two, I got to thinking, because I had had this, this idea, YC for bootstrappers, like 2011, I had written this down in a notebook and started sketching it out. And I thought, that sounds like a lot of headache. You know, that sounds like dealing with it. I've never raised money, right? It's like, I don't really want to deal with limited partners. I don't, it's a lot of work. But the idea became more and more intriguing the more I thought about the need From the founder side, like since I started investing, writing the little angel checks in, you know, the more bootstrapper companies, the capital efficient, you know, independent startups like the Cart Hooks and the Right Messages and the Spark Toros, I I just didn't have the kind of the money or the time to like to really go all in on that. But the need was obvious, you know, and the need was there. And a lot of it was at microcom, frankly, people I would meet. So all that said, you know, we started just kind of collaborating and working on a deck and stuff. And I I really was like, you know, we haven't worked together before, but I, he's come to a bunch of microcomps and I checked references and asked around some people had been in a mastermind with him and people were like, yeah, no, he's legit. He's super smart. He gets stuff done. And, you know, he'd be, he'd be a good partner. So it took us, I think, a couple months of back and forth to kind of figure out really what, what we wanted to do. But even in the early incarnation, I think I had said like, three, or like a three or a six-month remote accelerator is what we were thinking. And at some point, one of us said, why not make it a year since SaaS takes so long? So that was one thing that changed. The other thing that changed were the terms we just didn't know what terms could possibly work because there's there's really the only model for this was indie.vc you know and everyone else who funds things really does it either it's like safes convertible notes and those aren't going to work here because if you don't raise another round then you never get your equity and you know then there's venture terms and and we did not want any of those so that is where we just started that was the biggest iteration and probably what changed the most was I think we went through six different versions of the terms, and we customer developed the hell out of those. You know, we talked to founders, we talked to investors, and looked at them ourselves and said, like, w- which of these makes sense and is the most fair. And obviously, we eventually landed on um, you know our current terms, which are modeled after Spark Toro's terms, Rand Fishkin came up with to raise money for himself. And so other than that, I I think right from the start, we said, you know, we're going to do weekly calls, there'll be office hours, we'll get together two to four times per year, you know, that the basic structure was in place really early. And frankly, I'm surprised more hasn't changed because we are very willing, you know, as founders, like, if stuff's not working, I'm willing to change it. And I've been surprised at, at how little we've had to change. You know, I would have expected more things to go wrong. Typically when you're starting something with, you know, with a lot of uncertainty, things go wrong and you just have to pivot or change or whatever. And I guess it helps that there are a lot, you know, the accelerator model is kind of proven, right? And there are a lot of people that, there's a lot of accelerators and there's a lot of, a lot of models to look at that already worked. And all we did was, was make it remote. And so we could essentially model ourselves after an in-person one and just make the adjustments necessary to translate it to a remote situation.
1: So let's go back to that term process, because I know that there was a lot of hullabaloo (laughs) that went into nailing down the terms and getting investors on board and some ups and downs there. So if you want to expand on that process.
0: Yeah, in all honesty, I think that was the, those, my two low points came while we were trying to figure out the terms because the, I don't like uncertainty. Like I'm an engineer, a left brain. I like things to be ones and zeros. And the process of, trying to figure out what terms were fair to founders, but that also provide some type of return such that if you provide a crappy return, you, you can be super founder friendly. And if you provide a crappy return, then no one will invest in your fund and they will put their money in a REIT instead, you know, if you can't provide more venture like returns. And so there were a couple conversations in there. One was with a potential Tiny Seed founder and one was with a potential Tiny Seed investor. And the terms were changing, you know, literally weekly at this point. And each of those conversations, and we had we had a few dozen, but there were two in particular where after after I basically got the feedback, I told Sherry, like, I just don't think this is gonna work. I don't think we're ever gonna find terms that that both satisfy both investors and founders, because it's a lot harder than it looks. And I was super down during that point. And it was for about a day or two. And frankly, it was I was catastrophizing. It was not that big of a deal. It was one data point. And it's so, see, it's so easy to do that in the early days, right? Your ideas, they're just so fragile, you know? And when you bring that, you launch your SaaS app and someone tells you, oh, this, this isn't going to work or the pricing's too high or whatever. The first time you hear that, you're like, oh no, my pricing's too high. But when you have 500 customers paying you and someone comes and tells you your pricing's too high or you've funded an entire batch of really talented, ambitious founders who are growing fast and they, and the terms worked for them, you just gain that level of confidence where... Batch 2 opens in, well, just probably a week, less than a week after this will air. And if someone comes and says, oh, I don't like your terms, I'm going to say, okay. Like, it doesn't matter. But, you know, the first few times you hear that when you just have, you have like three data points <laughs> and one of them is that they're not going to work, it's really hard for me. I think that's actually something I'd like to get better at. I think it's a weakness of mine is I... I don't know, I take those things really hard and I get myself tied up kind of in, you know, the success of my startup. And that's where it helped. Like Einar was basically like, nah, one data point, we'll make this work. Like he helped kind of pull me out of those, those two moments. And that's where I'm thankful. Like, you know, it's been a year plus, but I've really only had, those were the two moments where I was like, man, this sucks. Aside from that, it's, it's definitely been, you know, more fun except for due diligence and dealing with the lawyers.
1: That was going to be my next question, actually, because I was like, okay, yeah, like dealing with the trying to create the terms was was made even harder because working with lawyers and and people who who don't understand what we're trying to do, or at least they work off a a rubric that works for say you know traditional venture firms, but we're not that.
0: Yeah, we figured out our terms. We talked to one law firm, and of course, we're talking to Silicon Valley lawyers, and we worked with them for about three weeks, and. We we bailed. We switched lawyers because they they just didn't get it. They couldn't get their heads around we're funding LLCs and C corps in all 50 states. That it just boggled and they would give us they gave us docs and it was all Delaware C Corp language. And we're like, no, we've told you like four times on calls. This is not that. And they just they just didn't understand it. So we bailed, went to another firm, and they did that, although they they figured themselves out a little, you know, a a little sooner. And we were almost, I mean, we were making offers to companies and going to sign the docs. And our our lawyers were like, well, we have like, we might have six or eight weeks of due diligence to do on these companies. And we're like, what? I don't know. It was frustrating for me. And I'm always, I often get frustrated (laughs) dealing with lawyers. And my goal every year is to not have to talk to lawyers. And so at a certain point, I mean, I did, I worked through the due diligence, took a couple months, you know, most of the companies. And eventually I got so burned out on it that Einar was like, do you want me to, you want me to step in on this? And, and he actually had to take it over. He didn't have to, but I, I could have got it done. But it really pulled a, pulled a big burden off me. I think we were probably seven or eight into, you know, our 10 that we funded and, and he took over. And that was, um, it's a thing where like, you can do it. You know, I can, I can do that stuff, but it's not fulfilling and it's frustrating. And that's when, you know, if you do that for a long time, you're going to burn out. Just because you're capable of something doesn't mean, you know, as a founder doesn't mean you should do it. And so I think that is a lesson I learned over the past year is if I'm able to hand that off completely this time, you know, the actual, just the mechanical due diligence of it and not be involved, that will, that will probably be my goal.
1: Tiny Seed was a little bit delayed starting the first batch, right? How long, how long was that?
0: Yeah, we wanted to, we wanted to announce at MicroConf 2019, which was March like 23rd, I believe, 24th, and I think the first docs that were signed were maybe, were like five weeks after that. And that was the first company. And everyone else came within the next four to six weeks. So it was like May, early June that everybody got signed. So it was a couple, it was a couple months later than we had intended. And that was also, um, I would say it's frustrating, but it was also, is a little bit disappointing. I didn't take it super hard, but it, like in the past, I, if I set a deadline and we missed it, I would have been, devastated, like we failed, you know, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily feel that way, that way this time.
1: And we can take it to round two, which is going to be happening (laughs) pretty soon. I think all these things we've learned about the application process and the due diligence stuff should be easier this time around now that we've worked things out and have lawyers and all that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we have more, we have like a checklist on our put together and I would expect it to be, to be shorter. Yeah. And we've also planned, I mean, the other thing we learned is we're opening applications November 1st, they'll be open for a month. And then we're giving ourselves like a month or a little more to evaluate and interview. And then we give ourselves another couple months to just to make sure, you know, every, the due diligence is dialed in and everything gets signed. And we can plan for, you know, for folks to frankly come to MicroConf, which will our first retreat for the second batch will be, the, you know, a couple days prior to MicroConf here in Minneapolis next April. So we've given ourselves ample time this time. And last time it was definitely, it was an aggressive schedule. And I I feel like we we have much... You get experience under your belt and and you're just a little more cautious with it.
1: Well, on the founder side of things, uh, what has changed in the application?
0: Yeah, our first cut at the application was... It was good. It wasn't great. Like some of the wording was off and, and people... You can tell when you get different, you know, it's someone puts a monthly number and another person puts an annual number and you can tell, oh, should have
1: specified monthly because that's what we wanted. So was, there were some things like that. So it was on Google. We used, it was kind of very MVP before, right? Yes. I was using Google Form or it was a type form, I think. So, and then push into Google Sheets.
0: It was it was a Squarespace form that pushed into Google Sheets and I had Zapier monitoring the Google Sheet to send a confirmation email because I, I didn't have that at first and I probably got fifty emails in the first day or two saying, was my application received? I got the message, but I never got an email. You know, I got a message on the screen, but never an email. I was like, okay, I guess people want an email, you know, confirmation. So it was very taped together. And the, and the Google Sheet was almost 900 rows. I mean, you you know, you saw it as you came in right at the end of the process. And it was, it was a kind of a mess to deal with. It was not, it was very MVP, as you said. And it was in retrospect, I don't know that I would do anything different. You know, it's like, I didn't want to vet and and find applicant tracking software. I didn't want to drop the money. We didn't know if we had the money, you know, to invest in that at that time. We, we knew we had money to invest in, in the founders. I just didn't know how much budget we would have for things like that. So we were doing it almost like a bootstrapped fund and just doing it super scrappy. But this time around, you have gone through a bunch of uh, potential pieces of software. That was a fun journey, huh?
1: Yeah. So the app, I mean, the the founder side of the applications is going to change. Um, We're using a new system and that should be really great. There's everything administrative wise, I think will be improved on our side. Founder facing side, like it's nice is the questions aren't really changing. Like they're just updating a few of the questions there. We're kind of working through that process, (laughs) continually working through that process at the moment. But it was a lot of lessons learned. I think it's really fascinating to see this is one of those places where, you know, we're not launching our own product per se, but it's still a lot of those lessons from doing something really small and scrappy and a VP and then taking those lessons and then being like, okay, cool. Now we actually know what we need and what we want to build and implement that into our process.
0: Yeah. I think that's the bigger thing that will change is the internal process that we have. We just have better software this time. And the application itself is, I think, 95% the same as the first time because we found that we had really good information, you know, that that we needed to evaluate folks.
1: And the terms for the founders who get accepted into the seed aren't changing or at least aren't changing significantly, right? Because there's some other funds out there that will do like version one, version two and whatnot, but we're largely saying pretty much the same.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's just a, there's one minor adjustment to like multiple founders. You know, the single founder rate of 120,000 that we invest is staying the same, but we did get some feedback that only, uh, I forget what, we were only adding like 20K per additional founder. And it did start to feel after many conversations like, yeah, that's just, it's not enough, you know, so we're increasing that amount for subsequent founders this time. So multiple founder teams will get a, a, a bit more.
1: So we have 10 companies in our initial batch. Uh, Danny, any fun surprises about working with our initial batch of startups?
0: I think the biggest surprise is, like I said earlier, like how smooth it has actually been given that we were making it up as we were going along. I expected to have to change more things, to be honest. I expected things to go wrong just because when you kind of write it out on a piece of paper, you figure, cool, this is our V0.5 and I'm ready to, you know, to change a lot of things. I've also been pleasantly surprised with how well the batch came together in terms of the personalities and in terms of people helping really going out of their way to help one another. Because, you know, we have a couple of folks who are really good with UX. We have some folks who are really good at, at sales, dealing with big contracts, you know, all these skill sets. There's a myriad of skill sets in there. And man, the people in the batch are just willing to jump in and, and help one another. And, I had hoped that would be the case. That's the point of funding people in batches, you know, is that you get a group of 10 super talented, or I guess we have two, uh, two person teams. So it's like 12 super talented founders and if they were off on their own and we just wrote a check and then we're like, okay, yeah, you can deal with us and the mentors, like you lose something there. And that was why from the start, you know, Einar had gone through Y Combinator. I was always a believer in community, right? I've, you know, been part of building microconf and, and building online communities and such. And it was like, yeah, I've seen folks help one another. That was a hope and, ex- you know, not an expectation. And that, that has come together in a way that I'm, I'm very, very pleased with.
1: One of the things I found really fascinating when I joined, because I do a lot of stuff, the day-to-day administration of the batch, and there's some founders who are very active and involved, and, you know, and there's other founders that are a little bit more quiet. And it was funny, A, just building up the systems we use in TinySeed. We kind of saw the, saw the traditional things, like we're using Notion, we're using Slack, and we looked at some other project management solutions, and they're kind of geared towards people running companies where you, you have to have the people who are involved be involved and responding, like check-ins and all that. And the funny thing is with us, with our community, is like, hey, well, we want people to be involved, but you know, these are founders who are heads down working on their own companies, and we have to also have these things in place so that they can focus on their companies. There's times where they're not going to be as involved in Tiny Seed, and people are kind of flowed in and flowed out as they need us. And I thought that was really interesting to me, really interesting to kind of build up an accelerator and, and build up these systems, but then how they're different than how you'd run a company with employees.
0: That makes a lot of sense. That's a good... That's a good differentiation. And I think, I mean, you know, Einar had said when he went through Y Combinator that some of the companies used office hours all the time, were super engaged with the batch, and there were a few that were just less engaged, that were off doing their own thing. And, And it wasn't a sign of success either way. You know, it wasn't like Predictive, who was more involved, you know, then they grew faster or whatever. It was just personality. It was, you know, they, they just wanted different things out of the batch. And so that's something that we've tried to do is build the systems in a way that doesn't force anyone or really, I mean, I was kind of a loner, you know, I mean, I'm, I was, I've had a lot of co-founders, but I've always been just kind of like to go and work off on my own. And so I get it. I get that, that some folks don't want to be on, on calls. I mean, if we were doing two calls a week or something, I feel like you'd start to, you start to detract from founder productivity and that it just gets to be too much.
1: Yeah, totally. And it's, it's The same thing with me. When I went through 500 Startups, I I didn't involve myself a lot in office hours. And what personally for me, that was one of my regrets. But it's been fascinating to kind of be on the other side of the table, you know, and see how different people work and what people prefer. And then on, you know, the tiny side, trying to make sure that we're successful for all these different kinds of, of founders. Will you remind me, was Drip remote or did you have a team in place?
0: We were half remote. We were like f- Five, five in Fresno, and then five remote, yeah.
1: Yeah, and we're entirely remote. So when I was hired at Tiny Seed, I mean, I met you at MicroConf, but really the first time we really worked together in person was at the Minneapolis retreat, Tiny Seed retreat. So how has been that process of A, Tiny Seed itself is remote, and then B, working with the founders is all entirely remote. And we get to meet each other on these retreats, but it is, we're all in on the remote culture. How has that been as a founder, as a, the person who's kind of managing everything?
0: Yeah, I think, I think personally I'm fine with it. I work really well remote, and I don't need a lot of in-person communication and all that there are just, you know, some folks want more interaction, right? We've had, you know, a founder or two mention, hey, can we do more calls, you know, or can we have more, I wish the Slack group was, you know, had more um, more action going on. And then other folks are fine, you know, with it the way it is, or frankly, probably wish, <laughs> wish there, was, there was less, you know, uh, uh, conversation going on. So that's what I've been thinking about is how do we make this work for a broad range of people? The remote aspect, I don't, I'm curious to hear your thought. Like, I haven't felt like that's been a detriment. And I think that's a testament to, this day and age, you know, the tools like Slack and Zoom and the fact that we are, you know, meeting together four times during the year. It's just like, we're we're so well enabled if you have a high-speed internet to connect with one another, even like, even Voxer. Like I know most of us have a love-hate relationship with Voxer, but the push to talk and just to get audio to someone quickly, I, I just think we have more tools now than we ever have. And uh, I I don't feel like that's been a big hindrance. But I am curious to hear... Your, you know, your thoughts, if there's something that's come up about us being remote that has been a challenge.
1: Well, it's funny, like, again, looking back at my experience with 500 and also YC, because those are like in person and they they attribute a lot of their success to being like, okay, we're all working together in person for these three months, heads down. And a lot of that has to do with that whole like series A process or, well, the whole like fundraising process when you're getting on the full roller coaster. And it's been really interesting also. I mean, it just works for us for the founders, because we're we're kind of working a little slower, a little bit more reasonable, a little bit better work-life balance for the founders, this year-long process. And it's nice to have that kind of trickle down to the Tiny Seed team. Because another thing I was going to ask you, actually, is you're juggling a lot of things. Like you're running MicroConf, you're running Tiny Seed. We just did a, a big survey for MicroConf. I helped you out on that. You're running this podcast. You're running a new podcast project, which you've been mentioning a few times on this podcast. You're an angel investor in other, in other companies. Uh, you do a lot of speaking engagements. You have a family. That's why I think the nicest things about having this remote first company is that I think it allowed you to, to work through all these different projects that you're working on, which is kind of overwhelming when I list it out like that. So I'm just gonna roll right into it. Like, how has that been? Just like juggling all these different things.
0: You know what's interesting is it feels less stressful now than it did when I was running software companies because at least more of the things overlap, you know, now the podcast overlaps, it's always overlapped with, with microconf, but much like the conversation today and my ability to bring some of the tiny seed founders on as I have David Heller, Craig Hewitt, Matt, Wensing, like it's, it almost feels like things are more in sync than they have been in the past with me. And the other thing, the other advantage I have that I didn't back in the day is You know, given our funding, we were able to bring you on full-time to do a lot of the day-to-day, the grind, the operations that I would have had to do, you know, and I did with my prior companies. And we've, you know, it's probably the first time I'm talking about it on the podcast, but, you know, we brought Xander on full-time to essentially head up MicroConf and continue to produce it. And so I'm not as in the trenches as I have been in the past and everything's aligned and going the same direction. You know, I'm not doing all of this because i was doing everything you just mentioned i was doing except for tinyseed but insert drip in there so i'm running a you know a software company with a team of developers and you know there were 10 of us in, in essence and that split my focus because microconf podcast mode was different than drip mode it's just two different problem sets and now these things all i mean tinyseed and microconf are not the same but at least it's the same headspace of like community And, and helping folks and pushing this forward, you know, I mean, there's just, there's a lot, at least for me, there's a lot that I can stay in the same headspace with each of those things. And then having, frankly, working with really good people has helped tremendously.
1: So in terms of all these projects, do you have any processes in place that help you keep track of everything you have to do?
0: Yes, I get a lot of email like a lot of email. And so I, I'm in email constantly and my process is to triage things and use a Trello board. And that's actually why, so literally if someone texts me something that is like a task or if you Slack me something, I will often copy paste or screenshot that and throw it into Trello because otherwise I'll read it, forget about it, and it'll never, it'll never get done. And I'll remember it three days later of like, oh, sorry, I didn't get back to you about that one thing you asked me about. If it's a quick yes or no, of course I just answer. But if it's more than like two minutes, I need I need it to be prioritized. So I'm in Trello and email a lot. I boomerang a ton of stuff. Like I have a I have a this week folder. If it doesn't need to get done, if it's not urgent, and I know I can handle it in a week, in the next week, I'll throw it into this week. And then I have a, a 30 minutes, like on Thursday morning, where I go through the, that whole folder and I respond to things. Often it's like speaking invitations. It's uh, you know asking for advice from people who are just kind of random people I don't know or people outside of the batch other stuff that's not time-sensitive. And I think really the core of why all that works is Trello because I, I also will email. If you're ever in a conversation with me and I get on my phone, it's, I will say I'm emailing myself that right now. Like if you were to mention a really good book right now, I would, e- I would tr- email that to the Trello board and then I would later add it to my Audible wish list you know, if I wanted to listen to it or if you were to recommend a, to- a tool for applicant processing, I would email it there first and then later I would go and I would mention it to you or I'd put it in Notion or something. So that's kind of my my inbox triage and um, it's just getting fast with keyboard shortcuts, you know.
1: Well, there's been one, that one time that you you emailed me rather than Trello with your to-do. That was funny.
0: Yep. Because <laughs> yeah, Tracy
1: starts with T. T-R-A.
0: <laughs> yep. T-R. I normally go T-R and it's the Trello board. For some reason you were you were there. And it was like a random, it was only a subject line, right? It was like, remember to X, Y, Z. And you're like, was this for me?
1: I was like, this is, I was, well, I was like, okay, this is clearly not for me, but I'm not sure what it was for. Yeah.
0: <laughs> totally.
1: All right. So batch number two, the application is going to start on November 1st, probably last about a month. For people who are applying for batch two, uh, do you have any big pieces of advice?
0: I mean, it's an interesting question. It's like we we do look at every application. We will read all of your answers, you know, so like do, do think them through. I mean, we're serious about the questions we ask there and we feel like it, it provides a lot of insight. We actually got feedback last time from multiple people saying the questions, especially kind of the latter half where we ask about, you know, what what would be three ideal customers for you? Why is now the time for this idea? I mean, there's just some kind of high level questions. We got m- multiple people that told us those helped me think through my business. I actually think I'm like a, I, I learned something by having to think those through. Yeah. I w- I would say like, yeah, I look at, at the people, I look at product market fit and I look at, you know, price sensitivity. Those are kind of the three P's, the high level P's. We have this whole list of 40 something things that we, you know, evaluate folks on, but Really, if it's a solid team and you're shipping and you're getting stuff done and and have some kind of traction, like that's we we really want to have a conversation. So I I don't know that there are any hacks or you know, quick ways to get attention, but I, I I do feel like like in this day and age, I don't know any angel or VC or accelerator that will fund ideas. So if you're at the idea stage. Get out of that, you know, get validation, get someone using it, even if it's, you know, it's a productized service that will ultimately be done by software, or you're just hacking stuff together with Zapier and duct tape, get to revenue, get to where you've proven that there is a need and that people are willing to pay for this. Because that's that's so much of it, right, is, is that the cone of uncertainty is widest in those early days. And it's so hard to break through from zero to $50 MRR might be the hardest point, you know, or 50 to 500. There's There's just these little hurdles that are so hard to get through. And that's, it's kind of what I tell any founder, whether they're applying for funding or not, it's like, this is the hard part, get past that. You know to to kind of prove to yourself as much as anyone else that that this is a viable idea and it gives you the confidence to keep pouring your time you know into your into your business
1: and the nice part thing about their new application process is that people can save their work' <laughs> as compared to last time, which is a form
0: yeah big one page form so that is nice there'll, there'll be improvements this whole time you know little iterations and such
1: yeah I mean when I was when I was working on my startup before tiny Seed, I I never got into White Combinator, but that app, like what you said, is like the application process helped me so much in terms of making me think through what are the issues that I wasn't thinking about beforehand? What are things that I could be anticipating that I can put in place in the next three months? Who are the competitors out there? What does a competitor landscape look at that moment? Because oftentimes I'd forget to look at that, you know, as things pop up over time. You know, And that's We've gotten quite a few emails from people saying, like, hey, should I apply? I don't know if I should apply. And it's like, yeah, definitely apply, if only, for that process of going through those questions and, and forcing yourself to think about these things you might have forgotten to think about for a while. I think it's a really useful process. And, so yeah, I hope to see a lot of applications. It's, it's going to be – this is my first time being 100% involved, so I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, it'll be fun.
1: Cool. I think that's a good place to end this.
0: Sounds good. If folks want to keep up with you, they can go to at TracyMakes on Twitter or TracyMakes.com.
1: And if people want to keep up with you, they can go to at Rob Walling (laughs) or RobBalling.com.
0: Nice. Well done. (laughs) Thanks again to Tracy for coming on the show and interviewing me. And maybe I'll do that again in another month or two to continue my story. If you have a question for the show... Leave us a voicemail at 888 801 or email questions at com. Our theme music is an excerpt from We're Out of Control by Moot. It's used under Creative Commons. Visit startupsfortherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.